Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Tactical Yank po- Yanks podcast. I'm not sure what episode we're on now. Is this 52 or 53? 55. 55. Wow, time flies. So we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. First, I'm here with my co-host, Filippo Silva from Tactical Manager TV. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly already, I'm Pete Douthit, host of the 11 Yanks channel on YouTube. And we talk about everything in the American soccer landscape. How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. And I'm kind of happy that this European season's over and that the summer is actually starting. We got the U20 World Cup to talk about today. Nations League coming up. Gold Cup coming up. A little bit of a USA-Mexico debate that we have to, to go through here today. Balogun committing. Because we didn't talk about Balogun in the podcast yet. Right, Balogun literally just committed last week. I believe he committed the day after we released the podcast. But... We'll go through all of that. It's going to be a pretty good episode. And we can pretty much start today with the U20s, right? The U20s debuted in the U20 World Cup, and we played Ecuador on Saturday. We defeated Ecuador 1-0, and we, we covered that on both channels, and we talked about it extensively there, so everyone can check it out there. But we're going to go through it here as well, because I think the main thing here is not even the win. The win was important, obviously, because now we are... We, we have good odds of topping our group. We should be able to beat Fiji, which we're going to play this Tuesday. By the time you guys are listening to this, we probably already played Fiji. And I, I, a win is a must right there. It's more about by how much we beat them. Slovakia beat Fiji 4-0. So yeah. if we can beat Fiji 4-0 or more, and Slovakia does end up beating Ecuador as well, or if they tie Ecuador, we could play Slovakia in the last game for a draw to finish first. And I think that that is important to finish first yeah. in our group if we can. Nevertheless, I think the most important aspect of the Ecuadorian side was uh, Ecuadorian match is we actually outplayed Ecuador for, I would say, 70% of that game. Most yeah. of the game we outplayed. And when we didn't outplay them, we weren't really dominated. It was just that Ecuador had a bit more momentum for that period of time. We had great opportunities to score. There was a moment for Diego Luna that, by the way, we'll, maybe we'll talk about him a bit because he was kind of kind of saucy in that game. Look, yeah. looked pretty, It was pretty good the way he played overall. Didn't look like an American player. <laughs> had way too much swagger for an American soccer player. But he had a shot with no goalkeeper on goal that barely it was like it was like an inch away from the post to go in. And then we got a goal in the last minute, pretty much, after the 90th minute, a very nice shot from Jonathan Gomez, the Mexican American dual national. And we got the one zero win against a very strong Ecuadorian side, by the way. But overall, that, that, that's mainly what I had to say about that specific game. What else did you want to talk about the U20s? I remember you said you wanted something there. Yeah, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about the cumulative effect of having all the players on the field be on the same page technically. Okay, And the reason I say this is because we sometimes see with the national team a mix of players with a certain technical level you know, playing with players who aren't at that same technical level. Right? For example... When you have Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna on the field with Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman and Jesus Ferreira, what ends up happening is certain players can't play at your level 
So you don't get that cumulative effect of being able to move quickly, pay, play quickly into space, combination play through tight spaces. It slows the game down and it limits your best players. The good news about the under 20s is they're all roughly at the same level technically. It's not an amazing level technically, like it's not elite, elite. But when they're all on that level, it creates a cumulative effect because now you can combine, move the ball quickly. Everybody can play, can see and feel and play the game the same way. And that was very noticeable against Ecuador. And it's been noticeable with this U20 group since they got together, really. And I think it bodes very well for the future that even though most of these players will only raise our floor and not our ceiling, it will still have a massive impact on our best players being able to play with better quality technical players around them, which then makes the best players better because they have no problem dishing the ball to a guy in a tight space because they know he can combine quickly and then they all receive the ball back in a better position, right? It's a little bit hard to articulate, but I think that's a really important takeaway. Like just Brandon Craig doing these long diagonals, switching balls, line-breaking passes is coming out of defense. We don't see that with the senior team unless Tim Ream is playing. You know, yeah, I mean, just to add to that, it's kind of good to see center backs that are comfortable on the ball instead of center backs like Walker Zimmerman. That every time they have the ball, it seems like the guy's about to have like a panic attack, he's like anxious about it and just boots it wherever his nose is pointing, and then it usually doesn't really work out. That's most of our center backs, right there, aside from uh, well, not most of them, but the ones we've been accustomed to seeing, right? Miles Robinson is a little bit like that, I'll say better than Zimmerman, but a little bit like that. Walker Zimmerman's yeah. a lot like that. Aaron Long doesn't even look like a professional center back at this point. That's another one. And then you, Tim Ream is probably the most comfortable one on the ball, but I would say Chris Richards is decent, good, decent for Premier League level, right? So good on yeah. the ball, good enough. It is, it, it's just that this team, when you look at it, it clearly shows that the development system has improved. It's not really at a level that you'd want to see because ideally, what we would want is to have 20 players like that, which is what we have already, and then usually have like one or two players that are like world-class prospects. Like one or two, not many, one or just one. Just one prospect that's like, oh, this guy, this is supposed to be a superstar for a top team that plays in the Champions League. But it just seems like we're developing a bunch of players that are good role players. That Some of them will be role players in good teams in top five. Some of them won't make it to top five. We're not there yet. And I think we clearly see with this team that we just don't have that piece yet in U.S. soccer. And I don't know if the development system will ever reach that because it kind of goes beyond the development yeah, system. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Balogun coming in helps to fill a hole up top. He's not world-class yet, but it's way too early to say he definitely won't be. No, but, but I mean our development system. He's not from our development system. Yet. Yeah, development system. In terms of developing world-class players, we're a ways off from there, right? The closest we've come is Pulisic and Reyna. And both of them, there were other elements that were involved in their development, and neither of them is world-class. Certainly, Gio, not yet. Uh, could he be one day? Maybe. But we'll see. We're going to have to wait and see on that one. Um, yeah. Well, we need to be developing Geos and Pulisics easily, right? Like, that should be the norm. And then on top of that, you have a few guys that become even better, Vini Jr. levels. Like, that's that's the goal, right? That the average guy that develops is a is a Pulisic or a Geo level. And then yeah, because you develop. you develop 10 Pulisics, right? 10 Pulisics. And then one will actually just explode, develop, and become that superstar. Right. We right. talk about, for example, Brazil and people some some listeners might say, 
Well, what country in the world develops 10 politics? Well, I mean, if you go from Brazil, France, they develop probably 10 to 12 politics, and then a lot of them stay at politics level. But you get two, three, or four that go a Vinicius, a Rodrigo, a Neymar, that just completely explode through that and just are just in a whole different level. For for that to happen, you need to have you need to be capable of developing multiple players like Pulisic. Multiple. Yeah. And look, to be fair, out of 208 countries in the world, there are only six or seven countries that consistently do that, right? So it's not terrible to not do that. But if you want to be competing for World Cups, if you want to be competing with the best in the world, which is what we ultimately want, which is ultimately what I think this country should be going for, right? We're the greatest sporting country in the world. And we do sports like nobody else. It's a huge part of our culture. So we have to start looking at soccer the same way we look at other sports of trying to be the best. And what Tack and I are talking about is if we want to be the best, or at least, you know, you're not going to be the best at soccer. Being the best in the world is very hard for a long period of time, but to be up there spoken of with the best, you know, like when you go into a world cup and people go, okay, so these are the candidates, Brazil, Argentina, France, Spain, Germany, the U S you know what I mean? Like you, you want to enter that top eight to 10 conversation regularly. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. We're not there yet. Well, my main, complaint, getting better. my main complaint is essentially we we rely on MLS to develop players for us, right? USL could help and get some guys like Jonathan Gomez was from USL. Josh Winder, that was in this U20, very promising center back. But yeah, USL will be like that. It'll be like one or two players every two to three years. It's not going to be consistent. Uh, and they could even be anomalies, right? It won't be that normal to get. But we heavily rely on MLS. MLS is a closed system, and that's what it's going to be. So with that said, when you are a league getting $500 million off a franchise fee, which is what they just got for the San Diego one, you would expect the league to have certain standards for academies that would be enforced in all of their franchises, which absolutely is not. It's not no. enforced. It's and also if and you add the fact that they also put territorial rights, which doesn't allow the best academies to recruit players. Well, they can recruit, but then that player can't sign the homegrown contract or whatever with the club. So why would you invest in a player that can't play for you after? Right. So they don't only not do a good job on setting a bar for the academies. like, hey, you are a new MLS franchise. You got to pay five hundred million dollars. You got to have a stadium, right? They put that as a requirement. You got to have a stadium, and the stadium needs to have these requirements in it. So, why don't these teams also have requirements like, okay, you need a U8, U10 futsal academy, you need a U12 actual competitive academy, U14, U16, U18, whatever, and all free, all of them free. Do tryouts, get the best. Yeah. Why is that not enforced on all of them? Yeah. So, again, when we talk about MLS, me and Pete, to a certain extent, nobody. Everybody knows we are for an open system, not necessarily promotion relegation, an open system, because you can have promotion relegation within MLS. That wouldn't solve the problem. You can do MLS yeah. one, MLS two. We are for that. But at the same time, you do have to hold MLS accountable for certain things. And I don't really care too much where the league stands in terms of quality of play. I just want them to develop better players. I want them to start developing consistently better players. And we're going to do probably an episode in the future here where we do a U.S. men's national team removing every single player that was not developed in MLS. And me and Pete kind of talked about that already, right, Pete? And yeah. it didn't look very good, the team. It just didn't yeah. look very good. The MLS-developed team was not good. So Yeah. Let, let me let me 
play devil's advocate for a second here. We've talked about how far away MLS is from where it needs to be in terms of player development. But five years ago in 2017, Tyler Adams broke through with the New York Red Bulls and was a starter for them at 17 years old. I remember at the time, this was very unheard of in MLS. Everyone got very excited about Tyler Adams because 17-year-olds didn't start in MLS. So we were like, oh, this kid is going to be something special. And when you say something special, being a Premier League starter for the U.S. is pretty good. We didn't have many of those uh, in our, even in our history. Not many, not enough. Um, five, six years later, there are 17-year-olds starting in MLS all the time. Right. Like that, that jump from what an anomaly to this is relatively normal. And most of the 17 year olds starting in MLS are quality players. They're not world class potential necessarily, but they, they're quality and they're going to make us better. So, for example, this year, Nico Shakiris is with, you know, the, the Quakes. Caleb Wiley started playing at 17 in Atlanta. No, Noel Buck over in New England. Uh, Gutierrez. Um, was 17 when he started playing for the fire. You know, there's a lot more examples. Mataya Kimbani, 16 years old, started getting minutes for DC United. Like you start going through the league and a lot more teams are bringing these players through. My hope, and this is my hope, is that that rate of progress from 2017 to now not only continues, but accelerates. So that five years from now, if we're having a podcast in say 2027, or 2028, we're talking about five kids that are being sold to Europe for 30, 40 million because Real Madrid and Manchester City and Bayern Munich believe they're going to be huge. You know what I mean? I'm hoping for that rate of progress, but a lot of that comes down to the, the grassroots level. And that comes down to developing that technique at young enough ages that by the time you're ready for an MLS Academy, you already have the basic tools down. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, and, and it definitely has improved. Uh, I don't think anyone can even argue against it. The main thing is you go back to MLS in the past has developed – well, MLS, wait, we've had players in the past even developed through MLS or whatever. It just seems like certain level of players, it they're just developed in the U.S. by simply having an academy by default. You have an academy in, in a certain level of player because we have guys that are great athletes and we have guys that train in different travel teams or whatever. It's just going to go by default. Now, has it improved the volume? Yes. I just don't see where the ceiling has improved. And that is a way of – because what I'm saying is if we increase the amount of academies and continue to do the same work, we're going to have a bunch of more – a bunch of more – oh, my goodness, my English right there. You're going to have many more academies – developing players that are within the floor of the U.S. men's national team right now. But we don't elevate that ceiling unless we get a better project done, ideas, and and, and it starts to get enforced at a much younger age. Why is MLS enforcing that? Yeah, no, that I agree. I, I think most MLS academies is are free from U12 on up. So U12 on up is free, but that's only for their, their U14. first team. U14. U14. Yeah, U14. U12, it's not. most Orlando City doesn't even have a U12 as far as I know. Yeah, but that is also only for their first team. That's not the clubs they associate with and call themselves, you know, Orlando or DC or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's, you're talking about 20, 25 players within that city that get to train for free. That That's an extremely small amount, right? And that might not even be the best 20, 25. So 
I also think there's two sides to it. I think a lot of times, even if you get into an academy at U12, U14 level, if you don't have the technical tools, you're never going to be a Vini Jr. Like a Vini Jr. at 12 years old had all the tools already. And it was about sharpening and learning tactics and decision-making and, and competing. But the other side of that is I do think that it, it, it takes time. To, learning to develop players is a process. MLS was not good at player development, period. They're still learning how to do it. And when you're learning how to do something, you make mistakes with young players, especially. And hopefully you learn from those mistakes and you get better over time. That's what I'm well, hoping MLS will do. I'll speak in regards to Orlando here. I've had two kids, actually. I've coached many kids here. But I had two kids that I saw good talent on him. One of them was English. He moved from England here. He had played in the Leeds Academy. So he was far ahead of the American players. In, in terms of development, his uncle was a player for Manchester United, Newcastle. So this kid was very good. And there's also a kid that I know here. He's a Latino. He's about six. Uh, lefty can actually control the ball at age six. It's quite impressive. Can actually dribble, which I'm sure you've worked before. Six-year-olds usually can't really control the ball. They just kick it, just boot it. I coach many kids that are six, seven, eight. So for me, it's just a different kid. And then I, I went and I talked to his mom. I was like, Okay, we need to get him somewhere where it's a bit more competitive. We need to get him somewhere where he plays more times a week and maybe try to bring his friends so he can play with friends. Perfect. The friends part, you can kind of figure it out. Find more Latino kids here. They'll love to play. What about club, Pete? Where does he go? You don't have it here. You don't yeah. have where to go. You have a talented six, seven, eight-year-old. There's nowhere for him to train in a, in a controlled environment, right? Because you want them to play pickup soccer. That's where they're going to get some flair. You want that. That's good. You get his friends. He plays. That's fine. But you do also want the kid to have a coach where he'll, you know, teach him some discipline, the rules of the game, stop the game, show a little bit. Right? You don't want to stop it too much at that age, but you do need to have a somewhat controlled environment and one a free-for-all one. You don't have that, at least in Orlando. And this, this city is full of Brazilian-Americans, Venezuelan-Americans, a lot of Latinos that want to play soccer and want to go competitive. English, there's a lot of English people here, too, that love yeah. the game. There was this father of an English kid that I coached, too, and he was asking, he was like, where do I go? Because his son was also pretty good. I wouldn't say as good as these two I mentioned. It was good enough that he was seven. He could develop. And he's just like, I don't know where to go. Orlando City doesn't have anything. There's no other team. What do we do? And I was like, I don't know, man. If you're in South America, I would point to you seven free academies that are highly competitive and you can go fight for a spot. Yeah. While here, we have a closed system. So you don't have academies competing. And again, what, what should be done is MLS should enforce, enforce its franchises to have teams all the way to the U8s, have a futsal team, field team, bring more kids. Like you said, they have, what, 25 kids, whatever, at that age group. Expand it. Have more, more options. For free, because at the end of the day, if they start developing these players, they will recoup this money either by winning Major League Soccer and getting more awards, whatever the fans going more to the stadium or selling players to Europe or selling yeah. players within the league, whatever. Uh, so it, it, it's just that a lot of the owners in MLS, they don't really get into MLS or the franchises because they want it to grow. They just want a very safe asset that they know is unlikely to go down or at least stay as it is or maybe go up. They also want some tax breaks and they also want connections with, you know, the local government. They also do that. So, yeah, those are the issues I have with Major League Soccer. In I regards will to say also, though, 
Orlando's probably one of the worst in the league at development, right? If you look at their big prospect, it's Michael Halliday. Them, Houston, Minnesota, and Portland are the four worst in the league right now. Um, which is, yeah, it's disappointing. Like, what would have happened to Obed Vargas if, I mean, this kid came from Alaska, for example, right? He was one of the best players against Ecuador. Thankfully, he joined the Seattle Academy, which has not produced a world-class player either, but at least they're giving them opportunities and developing them for a few years before they're ready for the first team. You know, if, and the thing is Florida, like you said, there's so much talent probably in Florida, like California, like Texas, right? Any of these Southern states, for example, that are very close to, to Mexico or to South America, they have a lot of talent that's not being utilized. Even Southern California, the fact Houston. that we only have, yeah, Houston's the, it is the most wild one to me. Like you're <laughs> in such a soccer hotbed. And you have zero prospects outside of Brooklyn. And a lot of people live there. A lot of people. It's a massive city. Uh, It's a massive city. You know, it's just, they're so, it's getting better. And that is my only hope that it will continue to get better. But it's frustrating because we have the potential to be so much better. There's no reason. But don't you agree that the problem with that is all these academies that suck MLS is a franchise-based system, and they have a bunch of requirements that every single club has to follow. Obviously, they're managed differently, the clubs, of course, or the franchises, but there are requirements they have to follow. But there is none, apparently, in the youth development. They kind of just yeah. do whatever they want. And so, and it wasn't – there was a while back where there were MLS teams like, I think, Minnesota, not so long ago, I think like three, four years ago. Academy. They ha- yeah, they didn't have an academy. How is that even allowed in MLS? That shouldn't be allowed. But yeah, it was. but then when Caden Clark is available, because he was developed by Minnesota Thunder, not even them, they claim they claim him, and Red yes. Bulls has to pay them money, even yeah. though they didn't put an ounce into his development. It's absurd. Well, if it's anything, they absurd. hurt his development. They hurt his development, right? Because they didn't give him an opportunity. He had to go elsewhere to develop. Had to look well, for yeah. different. And they limited his options because people would have to pay money for his rights. So it hurts. So again, uh, as I said, MLS, it doesn't seem like they put all the, they love putting restrictions. They love putting a bunch of like regulations, but when it comes to helping youth development, I no. think it's just improving by default, just because there's more academies. That's, that's well, literally what it is. It started off with New York and Philly, New York and Philly. I'm sorry, not New York, Dallas, Dallas and Philly started off showing it could be done. And then they started selling players and making money that way. And the rest of the, not the rest, but a lot of other teams went, huh, that's a good model. We should start doing that too. And that's why it started happening more and more. Chances were being given at younger ages. Um, The players were were getting better at development, but teams were putting more of a focus on it. Like New England never developed anybody. And now they've got three guys coming through. So I think without the, you can still make those rules and you can follow the letter of the law and say, yes, this is our U8 team. But development doesn't just happen because you have the team and you put them in tournaments and then they train three times a week. It's a focused thing. You have to really make sure you have the best practice, the best coaches, a pathway through to the senior team. It takes focus. And you can even have that requirement. And some teams will just follow the letter of the law. They still won't develop anybody. Like Houston's had an academy for 20 years. Nothing's come out of it. I think incentivizing it with money which is what's happening, being able to sell players. Like what has Dallas made on transfers over the last few years has been huge for the the whole league because now everybody wants to replicate that, right? 
And so I think that is what's starting to happen with more and more teams throughout the league. But like you said, we're still in the phase of we're going to be developing some good role players in Europe or second tier leagues, maybe, you know, Eredivisie, France, Portugal, Bundesliga, maybe not even starters for top teams at mid table contributors, you know, that's great. We need to, we need to level up though. And that's going to yeah, take send, send more players to Europe and over time, something will work out and hopefully we catch an anomaly like Alfonso Davies at some point on accident. And then that sure. maybe drives clubs to try to replicate that, which is what we want. But everyone, the U20 World Cup is going on. We're obviously going to continue to cover it here. And we're going to also be covering it at Tactical Manager TV and 11 Yanks. There you'll be able to catch live watch-alongs and post-games. So check out the YouTube channels for that. We play Fiji on Tuesday, Slovakia on Friday. And we will advance to round 16 by just defeating Fiji this Tuesday. So we'll probably be playing next week in the round 16 against who we don't know yet. But before we continue, a big thank you to Raycon Wireless Earbuds for sponsoring this podcast. Raycon is a premium audio at the perfect price point. So you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank especially during these times of inflation right now. They also offer two years of product protection for just a few bucks. They also do offer free domestic shipping and a flat fee for international shipping if you're not in the United States. They do have 50,000 five-star reviews online as well. And they also can give you a discount right now if you use our code. All you have to do is go to Raycon.com slash THPN. That is buyraycon.com slash THPN. Again, it's buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. I'm going to repeat that once again, okay? That's buyraycon.com slash, slash THPN to score 15% off your Raycon order. Thank you very much, Raycon Wireless Earbuds, for sponsoring the Tactical Yanks podcast. So, Pete, you wanted to talk about... Chucky Lozano and Gio Reyna because the L3 fans, a, a small portion of them, just they, they just can't enjoy their success without mentioning someone. Uh, and I guess vice versa. It's part of the game, bantering. But Chucky yeah. Lozano, just so, let me just add the context so everyone can know what you're going to talk about. Chucky Lozano won the Serie A, the Scudetto, the Italian League, playing for Napoli. Napoli won the league rounds and rounds ahead of time Gio Reyna and Borussia Dortmund are right now ahead of Bayern with one game left so if Bayern sorry if Dortmund wins this weekend they have to defeat Mainz at home they will win the Bundesliga and Gio Reyna will also lift the trophy and obviously as always because it's Twitter there was controversy and debate surrounding that between Gio and Lozano and I'm going to give you the mic now well it started because you know when Chucky won uh, the Scudetto it was oh no American has won a top five league this year. Ha ha, America sucks. You can have all these players in Europe, but nobody's playing at the level of Chucky. Surprise, surprise, Gio Reyna's three points away from winning the Bundesliga, which then means we both have one top five league trophy. The truth is, it's a dumb, in terms of the greater, the big picture of like how many players you have playing at what levels, it's not even close between the US and Mexico, right? That's why the Mexicans were you know, trying so hard to cling to like, oh, that's the one thing they have. Because when you actually look at the numbers, we have 30, 40 guys. Do you want the actual numbers? Yeah, you have them up in a video, didn't you? Yeah, I can I can read it for you real quick. So yeah, let's Mexico... start with that because that's the, honestly a greater predictor of success than one guy was a role player on a team that won a Scudetto. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So what I did was I, I got the top 11 leagues in Europe and anyone saying why top 11? Well, these are the top 11 leagues in Europe that have players that play for that play a significant role or start for national teams in the Americas. That's why I picked top 11. When you pick the top 11 leagues in Europe, which you want to know what leagues they are, Pete? Do you care? Should I sure. tell everyone? Yeah, let's hear that. So the, this is based so, on UEFA coefficients, right? Not Europe, yes, okay. yes, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. the top five leagues, obviously, and then you have the Belgium league, the Eredivisie, the Portuguese league, the Russian league, the Turkish league, and the EFL Championship. So I got these leagues that have players from the Americas, and I did a ranking. And Mexico ended up in tenth place with only twelve players. Only also even behind Canada that has thirteen. Now to be fair. One of the Canadians is like a third goalkeeper for Brighton. So technically, Mexico and Canada both have 12 if you really count players that play. But the United States had a total of 46 players, right? While Mexico had 13. Oh, so only behind uh, Brazil and Argentina, right? Yes, we were we were pretty much kind of like tied the U.S., Colombia, and, and Uruguay. Uruguay, 43 Colombia with 45 and the US with 46. When you look at it, it's kind of when I did this ranking, I looked at it, it's kind of divided on tiers, right? So Mexico, Canada, Chile, uh, Jamaica, and Ecuador are roughly on this last tier, where it's between like 13 to 16 players. And then you go to the second tier, which is between Uruguay, Colombia, and the US, which is in the 40s. And then Argentina just has like 90, almost 100. Brazil has a, a an insane number, like 250-something. But yeah, the U.S. is there. I, we understand when we're talking about the podcast, we're talking about quantity, not quality. But sure. overall, quantity is somewhat of an indication of quality as well. When you look at the ranking, that's roughly where you would place the quality teams, right? I don't, yeah. place, I don't place this ahead of Uruguay. I do think the 43 Uruguayan players, they have more quality than our yeah. 46. But I would say we are closer than any CONCACAF nation to Uruguay in terms of talent. Yeah. And even if you just did the top five leagues, it's probably USA 20, Mexico three or four, right? Because mm -hmm. that's it. That's all they have in the top five leagues. I mean, it's Chucky, it's Cesar Montes, it's uh, the goalkeeper, Ochoa, who's like 38. God knows how long he's going to be around. Uh, and then Guardado, you could say, but he doesn't even play for your national team anymore. Oh, he retired. He retired. So if you're talking about guys that are still eligible for your national team, there's those three. And then maybe Johan Vasquez from Cremonese. Tecatito and, that is injured. Oh yeah. Tecatito. That's five. Raul Jimenez. Technically he's not really playing for Wolves anymore. You could say technically that's six guys in the top five leagues for Mexico. Okay. Mm -hmm. For the U S it's between 2025. 20, so we have nine in the premier league. Yeah. Nine in the premier league alone. Right. Then you go to Germany. You've got Gio Reyna. You've got Joe Scali. You got John Brooks, right? You got if you're if we're going to count all those guys, you can count Timmy Chandler, right? Um, I, you, I think in Germany, I think in Germany we are the country that have the most. We have more than Brazil in the Bundesliga, but we don't have that many in the Bundesliga. Okay, you got Pifoc. Right? Brazil has a surprisingly low number in the Bundesliga. Yeah, because it doesn't suit Brazilians. They they go to Spain more. Spain, Spain and England, Italy. Spain and and Portugal, England, of course. England later, yeah. But look, so you've got Paredes. So let me just start up top. You've got Gio Reyna. You've got uh, uh, Pifak, right, in midfield. You have Pax and Aronson. You've got Kevin Paredes. In defense, you have Joe Scali. You have John Brooks, 
right? Is there anybody else that I'm missing? Timmy Chandler, technically, you could say. Caden Clark, technically, he is a Bundesliga player. He's registered. Uh, yeah, so Paris. seven or eight. In Italy, we don't have anybody right now, but you go to France, you got Tim Wayne. No, no, we do. Technically, Dest. Technically, Dest, sure, sure. Uh, and Venezia is on the promotion battle. They could be back, and that would bring yeah, back we'll Lucio Test. We're talking about this last season. Yeah. The good news is, and then look, we could go on. Let's say it's roughly 20. I think 12, somewhere between 20 and 25. But either way, you also have to look at the players that you have there. Two of the six Mexicans, three of the six Mexicans are over 30 years old, right? Cuadrado just retired. Ochoa is not long for this world. I mean, not for this world, for the high level, right? <laughs> 38. You're killing the guy already? Come I on. Mean the world, I mean the world of, you know, top five leagues. Um, and then, you know, Guardado just retired. So you've got Chucky and Tecatito, both of whom are in their peak. We're talking late 20s. The U.S. projects a lot higher because most of our guys are under 25, the vast majority of them. But anyways, the real debate became about Chucky versus Gio. So let's talk about Chucky versus Gio. Chucky has three goals and three assists for the Serie A team, Napoli, uh, in the Serie A. He has other goals in Europa League. We're talking about this league championship. Champions League, Champions League. I mean, Champions League, I'm sorry. We're talking about the league championship. Of those goals and assists, they're responsible for three points. Uh, six points, I'm sorry, because he played against uh, Empoli, where they won 2-0. He got a goal and an assist. So that's three points directly from his goals and assists, right? And then when they beat Bologna 3-2, he scored a goal. So that contributed to the three points, right? Technically, you could say that's two points because without his goal, it would be a draw. If Because we're, we're going to do that for Gio Reyna. So technically, five points. All his other goals and assists were in blowouts. So in the opener of the season against Hellas Verona, he got an assist that they won 5-2, right? Um, and then when they beat Cremonese, it was 4-1. He got a goal in that game. Uh, so he doesn't really have that. He's got five points that you could directly point to his goals and assists. I was going to ask you, just so everyone can understand, what question are we answering right now? It's who had more, who who had more of an impact on the title race? Uh, yeah, essentially. Stat? I don't. Now okay. this doesn't tell the full story, but we're just starting here. Got right? it. Got it. Okay. Five points directly from his goals and assists. Giovanni Reina has seven points directly from his goals and assists. Two are winners, right, coming off the bench to score winners in in crucial games, and another one was uh, he came in, it was drawing. He scored the winner, and then they conceded again to make it a draw. So you only get the one point there. So seven points. Gio has significantly fewer minutes. He has less than 600 minutes in the Bundesliga. Chucky has over 1,600 minutes in the Serie A. Here's the question for me. Napoli won the Serie A by something ridiculous, like 17 points or some crazy amount. I can check for you. They won it with a few rounds in advance a few so right now right now i don't know how it was before i don't know if they they lost the game here and there but right now with two games left they are 18 points ahead of lazio the second right. place team so my question here's something that's undeniable take giovanni reina out of dortmund they don't win the title they don't because they would have dropped those seven points if you take chucky out of napoli do they still win the scudetto yeah they do win the scudetto they do right so it's it's very true to say that Chucky contributed more to Napoli in other ways, right? Playing more minutes means you are a contributor to wins in ways that weren't directly involved with goal scoring and assisting. And I think that's a fair argument to make. But 
you know, Chucky's also 27 years old. Giovanni Reina just turned 20, right? So he also had a very, you know, was injured for part of the season, right? That's an important thing to mention as well. But the truth is neither of these guys had a massive impact on their team's titles. But since we're discussing it, I think it's fair to say that Gio had a more direct impact on if Dortmund wins the Bundesliga than Chucky had on Napoli winning the Scudetto. Yeah, I talked to Herc about that on Twitter. And the conclusion I got is uh, because Mexican fans don't even want to discuss this. But the truth is, I think Lozano had a better season, got more minutes, right? Went in the Champions League, more minutes in the, the, the Italian Serie A, actually won the league already, uh, played for a better team. I thought Lozano had a better season, but I think Gio Reyna was more influential when it comes to league title. If Dortmund is to win it, they could still bottle it. They're good at that. But if Dortmund does win, I think Gio Reyna was far more important for them than Lozano was for Napoli in terms of winning the Scudetto. Like we said, Napoli was so dominant that we could even argue that if you removed Cravradona from the team, they could have still won the Italian Serie A, even without yeah. him. They could yeah. have still won. Would have been tighter, sure. If you removed Lozano from them, they most certainly would have won the Serie A, probably even by the same amount of points. I don't think it would yeah. have changed much. So while Gio Reyna, it's a very tight race, and he was directly responsible for a few points with some very clutch goals, he got less minutes, right? Played 500 minutes. Chuck Lozano played 1,600. Uh, once again, I'll say it. Lozano had a better season than Gio Reyna, in my opinion. But Gio Reyna played a bigger role for Dortmund in winning this title if they win it. Hopefully, they do if win they it win. this weekend. Yeah, which would also take it away from the Canadian, Alfonso Davies. So no yeah. top five league titles for Canada either. But I think this whole discussion stems from a bigger picture problem. For years, Mexico was better than the U.S., the U.S. could grind their way out to some results here and there. But for the last, if you look over the last 20 years, minus the last three or four, Mexico was the dominant team in some ways. In some ways, not. They had some rough patches where the U.S. would still win gold cups. They had rough patches where the U.S. would finish top of the Ocho. In fact, the U.S. had to rescue their asses way back in 2013, or they wouldn't have qualified for the 2014 World Cup. But generally speaking, Mexico had more players playing at higher levels in Europe. That is completely changed now. and. They see it. Mexican fans look north of the border or Mexican fans living in the U.S. look around them and go, the U.S. is constantly exporting talent. Talent's getting better. Sure, they don't all work out. They, you know, we've had a rough second half of the season, but the arc is trending heavily, heavily upwards for American talent going abroad and playing at high levels. Whereas for Mexico, it isn't even flatlining. It's actually declining. Right. I mean, for you see that like we talked about the eight, the 12 guys they have in Europe. Some of those guys are in, like, they talk about Orbelin Pineda winning the Greek league. Please take, be, be serious. Like that's doesn't even count. Right. As a, it's a European league, but they're not even in top 15 in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, and, and all of their guys who were playing in Europe are, are most of them are old or not old, but they're either in their prime or past their prime. The young guy that, that they really have that I think they can hang their hat on is Santi Jimenez. And that's one guy. Because what other young talent is doing well in Europe for, for Mexico? Nobody. Young? Nobody. No one. Young? No, no one. Tecatito's 30. Chucky's 27. Gordado, 38. Uh, no, Gordado's retired and 35. Yeah, Ochoa, so 38. Chucky, Jimenez, 32. Chucky will be 30 the next World Cup, which means by 2030, he'll be past his prime in the World Cup. Yeah. And they've had guys who went there and, and flopped, like Diego Lainez. Big flop. Right. 
Marcelo well, that Flores flopping. struggling. That, that guy's flopping in Liga MX too. No, I know. Marcelo <laughs> Flores is struggling in the Spanish second division. Now, of course, he's still young. He could still make something of himself. Edson Alvarez is not in a top five league, but he's doing reasonably well. But he's not young either. He's 24, 25. Well, he's well, the same age Mar- as Marcelo Flores is like 19. Uh, right. we in have... other words, it's reasonable that he could, by 22, 23, continue to develop. Yes, but we have 19-year-olds struggling in the Bundesliga. Right. They have not a 19-year, their best 19-year-old right there. They're, they're, he was like their savior at one point. They're like, oh, we're, he's going to be the next the next Carlos Vela or whatever, like another class player we're going to have. And then he goes to Oviedo in the second division of Spain and just doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, he was such a big deal when they recruited him ahead of Canada. Yeah. And so I think Mexican fans are very worried about the future, the state of the, of the future game, the national team for Mexico. And I think they should be. Um, because compared to the U.S., the gap is getting bigger and bigger. And I think three, four, five years from now, it's going to be even larger unless Mexico does something. Well, they struggled with the U.S. men's national team this past cycle with Greg Berhalter in charge, and our players were very young. Now our players are better. I'm going to assume we're going to get a better coach or maybe the same thing, right? Jesse Mart might be the same thing, whatever. But our players are definitely going to be better. They're getting better, right? I know they struggle this season, but they're much more mature. They have more experience. They're becoming better players. And we added Balogun. We added Balogun there to the mix. So it's not going to be easier for them by any means. And their team is weaker because players they relied on, like Hector Herrera, Guardado, they're gone. These guys are done. They are done. Tecatito, that was a big name for Mexico. I'm not going to say he's done, but the guy's been injured for what? It doesn't come back. The guy's been injured since before the World Cup. It doesn't come I mean, back. He's, in, he's back now. He just played last week. But he's also 30. He's not a prospect. Yeah, but but again, he's been having health issues for a while, been injured all the yeah. time. And then you talked about Raul Jimenez. Ever since that horrific injury he had, the guy just isn't the same. Then you're relying on a 21 or 20 year old Santi Jimenez that you just gotta hope he develops. If he look, if Santi Jimenez for some reason doesn't develop, that is such a major blow for for Mexico. If like they're pinning all their hopes on this one guy. Yeah, he needs you to know. he needs to develop very well. He can't he can't just be what he is right now. No. Which which again, like we talk about this, how let's say Pepe doesn't develop for us, he just kind of stagnates where he is. That's fine. You got Balogun now. You got you still have Sargent that you can rely on, and other guys will show up. So I would be very worried if I was uh, in the L3 fan base and I really cared about the national team right there, Mexican national team, because it's not looking good for them. And again, they try to you know get a hold of that thing that Chucky Lozano won this the Scudetto. No American's gonna win it. I hope next week when we do the podcast, we're celebrating that Gio Reyna was able to lift the Bundesliga. I think that kid deserves it right now. Uh, yeah. Had a bit of a rough few months because the grown-ups didn't really act like grown-ups. Uh, but that goes past the point. Before we talk about Balogun, can I put a quick word from our other sponsor? Sure. Man, we're getting richer, Pete. So many sponsors. We just got to get another one. Like, if they getting, only knew. If they only knew that we'd barely get paid. But I'm joking. I'm joking. They pay us very well. Very well. We love them very much. But going on, thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring the podcast. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. You heard that right. All you have to do is download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code THPN. New customers can make a $5 bet on the hockey playoffs 
and score $150 in bonus bets instantly with the code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook. So thank you once again, DraftKings, for sponsoring the podcast. Don't forget, guys, to use the code THPN. Pete Balogun, we didn't talk about him last week because he committed after the podcast was released. But now we got Balogun. Uh, we we talked about also, I think, in some of the streams or just between us, that there were a few boxes that the United States had to tick this summer for us to consider it successful. Balogun was one of them. We just ticked that one. Win one or two trophies, hopefully two, but at least one trophy. Have a good U20 World Cup. That also started very well. We still have to advance more to consider it successful, at least the quarterfinals, but promising start that's another box uh the trophies get a good coach which right now looks like we we might be a bit iffy on that one but <laughs> with jesse marsh and and the other one was for our players to find good clubs right better their club situation so the balligan box has been ticked he joins the u.s men's national team and then we have part of the media pushing this narrative that we think he's our savior so why don't we talk about that? Because I, I I try to figure out why are these guys pushing, most specifically Alexi Lalas, of course. I know we don't want to give him airtime here, but he was the one, one of the ones pushing it. And then some other guys agreed with him upon it. Does anyone truly think Balogun is our savior? Is that really what we're not? That's the thing. What I love about terms like savior is that they're very subjective. I can say, I'm excited that Balogun committed to the national team. It's going to be so cool seeing him in a U.S. jersey. And you can say, Pete. Stop thinking that Balogun is the savior. Who's to, unless I actually say I think Balogun is the savior and then I define what I mean by the word savior, anybody can accuse anybody of anything. So I personally, and you and I are very much you know involved with both YouTube and, and Twitter, USMNT Twitter, I haven't really seen anybody thinking he's our savior. The way I define savior is a guy who's going to come and make all the wrong things right again, probably going to win us a World Cup. Take us Messi. to the promised land. Messi. Yeah, like a messy, you know. But I don't think anybody thinks that. No. I mean, maybe I've, you know, maybe I'm not as involved with like every reach of Twitter. And maybe there's a few people that think he's going to be our savior, but I really don't think that's the response. What I've seen is an overjoyed response naturally to getting a kid at 21 years old, scoring 20 plus goals in a top five league with a lot of potential and a lot of promise in a position of need for us. And I see guys like Alexi Lalas getting upset a little bit about it. He feel, If he feels mad, honestly, it feels to me like there's a resentment there. There's a, there's a sense that, A, he's not really American, okay? And I know Alexi Lalas didn't say this, but this is just my read of the situation. When a dual nat commits to the U.S., there's sometimes a reluctance. And I've seen this on Twitter, not just from Alexi Lalas, from other accounts as well. Even on YouTube comments, he's not really American, which leads me to ask, what is, what does it mean to be American, right? Everybody has their reasons for choosing to play for somebody. Is Julian Araujo not really Mexican? No, of course not. It's part of his heritage. It's part of his blood. In the U.S., we give you citizenship if you are born here, okay? If you choose to take advantage of that citizenship, great. C congratulations. Welcome. If you choose to be American, if you choose to represent this country, then that may, is what makes you American. America is is a different country than the rest of the world. It's not any most countries, although even many, many countries now, like France, Brazil, Portugal, England, Germany, they're having the same thing, where what does it mean to be from that country? 
because they're countries that have a lot of immigration, right? And if you have tolerant, open immigration policies, which for the most part, I think America does, right? Um, then, then you're going to reap the rewards of that further down the line in ways that are not just connected to sports. But we're talking about soccer. Sorry, go ahead. No, but we're talking about soccer here. So Folarin Balogun chose to commit to the U.S. Whatever his reasons were, I think there's a good part of it that was the fact that he's probably not going to break into England. But it does sound from his words that his parents had been wanting him to pick the U.S. for a long, long time because that's where he was born. And so it sounds like his parents love this country too. And sounds like he made this decision with his heart, not just his head, although I'm sure his head was a part of that decision. And kudos, congratulations to him. I don't think he's going to be a savior. I think he's going to really help us out a lot in many different ways. And I think sour grapes from certain media members are because partially because he's a dual national and partially because he doesn't play in MLS. If Balogun came out of MLS, we'd be hearing things like he's young, give him time, high potential. He's a good guy, a great leader. Good locker room guy. The what he's not American argument is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Stupidest thing. You go down to Miami, you're going to literally go talk to some people from maybe from that their parents are from Cuba. People are just t- speaking in Spanish, but the guy was literally born in the United States. And you're going to go tell that guy he's not American. He's American. He's American. You also go here to Orlando. You see a massive Brazilian community with lots of kids that were born in the U.S. They go to school in the U.S. But when you talk to those kids, you're like, wow, your culture straight up from Brazil. Are you going to tell that kid he's not American? Because he is American and they do feel American. Right. So uh, I'll give an example. Maybe not. Maybe I'm not the best example because I have spent more of my life, uh, even childhood, part of teenage years here. But for example, my parents, my parents, right? They lived in Brazil, what are they, 50-something? They probably lived in Brazil 40 years of their life. 40. It's probably older than a lot of people just listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. You go to my parents' house, you're going to see a Brazilian and an American flag right in front of their home. They love the United States. That's their country. They don't want to go back to Brazil. Are they not American? They're not allowed to be American? So it's just a very stupid argument. I understand what they're trying to say. It's like, Balogun doesn't live here. He was just born here. Well, he has an American citizenship. So if he feels American, he wants to be American, he has citizenship, he's American. My only part, the only part I would be bothered with if, is if I start watching the games and I feel like, well, Balogun's not really putting in effort. It's like he doesn't care. It's like he doesn't really want to play for it. But if he goes onto the field, he goes into the match and you see him giving everything for that for the national team for the united states he's giving everything to represent us putting in the effort playing well what else you're going to ask from him he chose to play for the u.s he was eligible to play for the u.s and he's american that's a stupid argument but going back to what you were saying i don't think he's the savior you don't think he's a savior no one thinks okay not no one but i'll say anyone that i interact with we don't think he's the savior but in the world cup in our most important game in the world cup we started a player named Jesus Ferreira that didn't freaking look like a professional player in that match till a point where Greg Berhalter that loved this player so much and kept giving him chances, pulled him out at halftime. And Greg Berhalter was known for late subs, sometimes not even making subs. Yeah. Pulled him out. That's what we did in the world cup. Now, all of a sudden we get a player that's younger than Jesus, younger than Jesus scored over 20 goals in a top five league, which I asked this question, have we ever had a U23 player score 20 goals 
in a top five league. Has the United States ever had that? We've never had any player score 20 goals in the top five league. We had what Dempsey get like 17, 17. once in his prime? 17 in his, prime. in his peak at 29 years old. Exactly. Dempsey prime. And we're getting a play right there. Sure, the Premier League is tough and all that, blah, blah, blah. The Premier League, when Dempsey played also, it was already one of the best leagues in the world. But it, it wasn't as much as much compared to the other ones as it is nowadays. Like nowadays, the gap is much bigger. The Premier League yeah. has many more, much more money. So we never had that. All of a sudden, that just falls right on our lap. We get that player. You should all be pumped, should be excited, hyped. We just added a player that could even raise our ceiling out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I think he, he already raises our ceiling. Even at the level he's at now, he raises our ceiling. Possibly. I'm just saying possibly because we haven't seen him play for the now. We need to get more evidence, and we're going to get it. Also, I do want to say one thing about Balogun before we wrap things up soon in this podcast. He's going to come in. He's never played with these players before. Uh, and, and then some people are going to try to do, let's say he struggles against Mexico. Let's say that happens, which could happen. It's the first time he's playing against Mexico. He doesn't really know those players. It's the first time he's playing with the American players. He doesn't know those, but he could struggle. That could happen. Also, yeah. he's not Lionel Messi, just to make that clear. He is yeah. a very good player that will have ups and downs with us. And he's young, right? He's actually young. He will struggle. He, Sorry, not that he will struggle. He, he might. could struggle. Yeah. He could struggle. Keep giving this guy chances. We got to twenty one. We, we we give we gave. I'm gonna keep picking on this guy. But we give we keep giving Jesus so many opportunities. No matter how much he sucks for the national team, we gotta be patient with Balogun. It could happen that he could struggle. He doesn't know any of these players from Mexico, and they oh, okay, not any hasn't played really with pretty much any of them. It could happen. Now he could also come out and ball out. That that could happen. But if that happens, yeah. then all is good. I'm just saying that that there's the possibility that he will struggle, and we have to be patient with that. Of course, if 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 the World Cup is approaching and we've given him like 10 to 15 caps, and he sucked in every single one of them, sure, let's raise that question because then maybe yeah. he's not the starter, and he's gonna have to compete with Pepe. There's players that will develop. Sergeant Pepe will compete with him. Uh, Hajirai, Pifak, all of them will compete with him. And and who knows, maybe Jesus can develop, right? I'm not going to discount Jesus, say he's never going to get better right now. I just don't want him in the national team. You just got to be patient with Allegan right now. That's it. Just be yeah. patient because you never know. And, and apart from him, like, remember, A, a this is a long-term project. The guy's 21, right? We're talking about 10 years of his career that he's going to be representing the U.S. or could represent the U.S. Two, it, it's like having him makes our other strikers better. Pepe is going to have to fight and push Balogun for his spot. Sergeant might drop down to third on the depth chart, and he's going to have to fight and push for his spot. Mm -hmm. Jesus probably knows he isn't making a World Cup roster with those three, right? He's going to have to try to hopefully improve. Well, you I don't know if he knows that. He thinks a lot of himself. Yeah, that, he does think a lot of himself, that guy. But you know what I'm saying? Like having more competition, you don't want anybody, including Pulisic and Reyna, anybody on the team getting too comfortable, feeling like they are, they are owed a spot in the starting lineup. You want competition that can actually fight and push each other and make and players will have to be better or they'll get benched, right? That's what you want. And Balogun, at the very least, is that he will push our other strikers, even if he struggles a little bit at first. But we'll be patient with him. It's very, very exciting. I just don't think we've ever had a striker of Balogun's level. I, I don't. Mm, we've never no. had that. No, you know? yeah. In the French league, I know out of the top five leagues, it's among the weakest one, but it's not a bad league by any means. It's a very tough league to play also. Well, that's where and France he, develops most of their players. 
Yep, and, and we can also add the fact that Jonathan David, that is the best, well, now the second best center forward in CONCACAF, or yes. he was, uh, it was, no one even debated. Jonathan David was the best center forward in CONCACAF until Balogun committed. Maybe they can still debate that part. And he played in France. He played in France, right? He's yeah. scoring goals in France. So it's not an easy league by any means. But Pete, anything else? We got That's almost it. an hour. Yeah, I know. An hour. We really went off on this one. So everyone, we'll be back next week. Uh, next week, we might not release it on Tuesday. We might wait till the roster's out because that way we can do a podcast on the roster. And we don't know when the Nations League roster will be out. It should be out next week at some point. So we're probably going to wait on it, right, Pete? I don't think it's going to be out next week because the game is not until the 15th. They usually release it about 10, 9 to 10 days before the game. So they're probably not going to release it. Camp starts on the 5th, though. Oh, does it already? Yeah, it starts on the 5th of June, camp. Okay, yeah, so then it might be out. I think Let's see. We'll know. we'll know by Monday or Tuesday if it's coming out next week for sure. Yeah. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you made it this far in the podcast, please drop a review. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Have a great week. Ciao.